Hello and welcome to episode 103 of Command Space on 5x5. My name is Mike Hurley. I have a very, very fantastic guest today, but just before I introduce him and we get into the rest of the show, I just want to let you know that I have a very important announcement today, in case you haven't already heard, which will be at the end of today's show. So make sure that you listen all the way to the end. It is very important. And now I would like to introduce my fantastic guest for this week's episode, and that is Mr. Matt Howie. Hello. How are you? Great. Thanks for being here today. And Matt, I will uh, start this episode as I have started all of my others. Matt, what do you like to be known for? What do I like to be known for? Um, I guess Metafilter. <laughs> Metafilter and some other things. And we're going to get to Metafilter, but let's start with some of the other things. So you, by looking at your Wikipedia page, which is a very impressive Wikipedia page, by the way, uh, I think it's because an editor was a member of Metafilter, and I had a terrible one, and he said, oh, I'm going to fix that up. So They did a great job. I it's think they did it involved. in 2008 or nine, though, and hasn't been touched since then, so it's a little out of date, but it's pretty good. But it's pretty good about your history, a history that I wasn't that familiar with. So um, I, I did not know that you not only worked on Blogger, but also you worked with Creative Commons. Um, mm-hmm. and this was all whilst Metafilter was in its early days. Um, I'd love to know a little bit about that path. So where did your life in computing start and how did you find your way to working on projects like Blogger? Um, it, it is actually pretty interesting. Um, I think my first computer ever was like 1979. My dad brought home an Apple II, I'm guessing, E or C or something, whatever like the first sort of affordable Apple computer was. Um, well, affordable being two or three grand. Uh, my dad was prone to like crazy dumb purchases like that so um like you just come home with a new car without telling anyone <laughs> and he'll go oh i got a flat and it's just right outside of a dealer so you know it's just easier just to get a new car um so my parents are terrible with money but uh so yeah we had this uh, computer in 1979 which uh i played with um i did a little basic programming and you know spaghetti code go to 10 um, that's what I kind of did at school. The school computer labs were like two of these apples as well. Um, and I played with that till about, I don't know, maybe 80 or 81. It was mostly for gaming. You know, I'd play the lemonade stand game and Oregon trail. Um, I never did much with, um, the program except for like, you know, pixel sprites were kind of fun. Um, I eventually got like a, uh, Commodore, you know, 64 after that, but I kind of like didn't use computers from like the mid 80s to the mid 90s until I was uh, just finishing college and I was just kind of being forced into uh into uh, uh you know computers for assignments uh and lo and behold the desktop icon of mosaic like appeared on the student computers in like 94 uh and I was like what is this weird thing you click it and you just got urbana champagne like the the university that programmed it where mark and Dreesen went um, that was the homepage of it, and uh, you couldn't even edit. This is such an early version. You couldn't edit the URL bar, so you kind of had to like click. I had to remember like a seven-click path to get outside of the college. So you that, had to go to the what? That reminds new page. me of like getting around um, school web filter blocks. <laughs> like, like finding can you your imagine way a browser that doesn't have an editable browser like a <laughs> URL bar? It was just it wasn't editable. <clears throat> So um, I kind of fell in love with the web. Um, I'd started college as kind of like an art major and had a couple bad art uh, class experiences in my first year. And I realized I was also good at like 
math and biology. So I ended up going into science. Um, and so I actually graduated with a bachelor's degree in environmental science, and I didn't feel like I knew enough, so I stuck around at the same school and got a master's a couple years later. I was doing undergraduate research, which was pretty much master's level research. So, uh, you know, my advisor said, if you just want to stick around a couple of years, you know, my lab will pay you and, you know, you just keep going with this research or expand it into something harder. And basically, so as I was, and it was 95 to 97, that I was doing a master's. And so 95 is right when I started to fall in love with the web. And I remember having these like just fraught nights where I was like, man, do I finish this? Like I was doing chemical transport through an ecosystem, you know, it was like dread, I was scuba diving for sediment profiles and then running them for copper concentrations on these mass spectrophotometers and I was doing all this big data stuff and I was and I was just going man I should just chuck it all and build like you know brochureware sites you know were kind of like a thing where basically anyone could put up a shop and you know build little two thousand dollar sites for every restaurant in town and uh, you know I had a lot of nights in my during my uh, master's degree where I went like yeah I should just chuck it all and just do the web full time um I ended up finishing and uh I got a job at an environmental engineering firm, uh, and it was, I was reduced to, like, a work you could train a smart monkey to do. Um, all I had to do was, like, make copies. Uh, it was, like, environmental impact reports. I was preparing for cities and stuff, and it was mostly for phone companies. So I could put up cell phone poles all across America. So, you know, they kind of had a, that little 10-foot patch of ground where you put up a cell phone pole needs an environmental impact report. What's the impact report of... You know, or what's the impact of, you know, a 10 feet square of gravel and a giant pole? Uh, and what's the visual? And you have to take photos. And it was just, I was, compi- I was compiling these 200 page, really boring things, you know, mostly Xerox copies of things um, and delivering them to cities. And I realized like, this is, this is stupid. Um, and I started looking for a web job. So I uh, lucked out and uh, uh, the first job I sort of, interviewed for was a computer group at UCLA um, in Los Angeles, a big university there. And like the moment I stepped into the like computer lab offices, you know, where everyone's offices were behind a a big computer lab, I just sort of felt for the first time in my life, like that's where I belonged. Um, It was really weird. Like this only happened twice in my life uh, where, um, you know, you're just walking in a completely foreign place and you're going, like this feels so right this is this is my destiny kind of so uh i had a great interview i was that was the first relaxed interview i'd ever had in my you know post college career uh and they really loved me and they offered me the job like that night um and i took it and i had to move to la and i was i was about an hour west of uh east of them uh and it was great um it was really fun and it was the best thing was being like 25 having like my first real job and my girlfriend had lived a couple hours away and only came out on weekends so I basically had nothing at all to do Monday through Friday except work and uh, the work I was doing was like maintaining school websites and working on a big CMS for uh, the entire campus of UCLA um the outgoing tran- chancellor in like 1995 or 6 <laughs> like his last speech was by next year, every class at UCLA, which has 40,000 students, uh, will have a website. 
and this is 1996. It's crazy. And uh, everyone claps, and he cuts a ribbon or something. And then all the computer groups were scrambling, having these emergency meetings, like, what the hell are we going to do? Like, what? Like, um, the, the app, the giant CMS for schools app, Blackboard, was just in its infancy. Um, so half the school kind of bought into the, the first version of Blackboard. And the other half of the school, like, wrote their own CMSs. So I was in a group that wrote its own CMS, and it was open-sourced. It was with, like brand new php um and uh, i was like the designer for it um and so it was great i basically worked like 12 16 hours a day because i had nothing else to do in my life i had you know i was in a strange city in a dark little apartment uh you know i didn't know my neighborhood very well um like being on campus was really energetic and fun like everyone's 20 and you know is ready for to take over the world and you know we had ample bandwidth and all the technology we wanted half of my job was like playing with new technology just to see if it could be used in courses so we were like playing with the earliest um you know real audio and video servers and stuff like that um so uh as a result like i mean in the first six months of my job i you know i accomplished probably what would have taken five years at a boring you know cubicle desk job you know doing the light light web work um yeah, so I just basically was on every web design mailing list there was and really active in forums, and I just sort of gobbled it all up and uh, lived and breathed uh, web design for the first two or three years, and um, it was great. Um, and so Metafilter came out of that. We had this really cool boss who uh, we were sitting on top of like UCLA's connection, and I think we were just a couple miles from like the West Coast main connection to the internet, like the biggest, you know, pipe in Southern California. So we had this like psychotic bandwidth in 1999, 1997. Um, uh, so like he said, basically you can run anything on your desk you want, like bring in an old home computer, you know, we'll give you an I ethernet drop and give you an IP and you can do anything you want as long as it's non-commercial. So, uh, you know, every, about half the staff that I worked with in my little computer group had like mailing lists and they ran their own personal you know, like, you know, their last name.com, you know, websites and photo galleries and stuff like that. And so um, Metafilter was like my first real web application. I wanted to learn programming. It was like, I started to think about it in late 98. There was only about a dozen blogs. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I was like, oh man, these blogs are great. And Kotki had just started and um, um, Cam camworld.com was Cam Barrett. And he was, these early blogs were basically like, they're more like tweets. Um, it was basically like two sentences would be a post with a link in it. And it was about a link every post. And it would just be like a sentence. And these people would post like a dozen times a day. And for some reason, that just blew me away. Like that was a, a psychotic output. Um, now, you know, keeping myself to a dozen tweets a day is pretty easy to do. Um, but uh, so I thought, oh, man, I can only find one or two sites worth making a you know, sentence long post about. Maybe I'll make it multi-user, you know. When you get into database programming, you know, you quickly realize once you make a template, you know, you can make one page or 10,000 pages. Um, you know, it's all the same in terms of data and structure. So, you know, I made a multi-user site, uh, you know, I added comments thinking, oh, just, you know, my original idea was four or five authors could probably make a pretty cool blog that had like 10 posts a day. Um, if they just did one or two posts a day. Uh, and they might want to talk to each other, so I put in comments. Um, 
And I was on so many mailing lists at the time, and I was using Slashdot a lot, that that was kind of a big inspiration, too, that I saw how Slashdot, I thought Slashdot was kind of crufty and difficult to use a bit because it just had so many features. So I wanted to pare it down as much as possible um, and, you know, take the best parts of it and, and cut out the you know, parts I found tedious. So, you know, I made the interface as simple as possible. Like, there's no threading, everything's flat, you know, there isn't comment sorting in eight ways there wasn't voting at first there wasn't you know anything like that um and so you know i ran this thing under my desk and uh had a full-time job um and that that went pretty well uh for a couple years um and then eventually blogging sort of started to grow um there was no real hangout there was a couple like secret mailing lists of bloggers you know um when you could basically fit every blogger in the world in a room still. So, um, you know, Metafilter kind of started to become sort of a hub about blogging. It was kind of like a meta meeting space for early bloggers. Um, and then, you know, I sort of caught the attention of Ev Williams and Meg Horahan, who had just started Pyra the summer before, and they had started Blogger, and I was an early user of Blogger and kind of liked it. Um, and so I used Blogger for my personal site, and uh, I was actually, I was up in San Francisco looking for a new job. I was thinking I'd been at, you know, my college job for three years. So I wanted to find like a, a new job, you know, in the industry. So I was looking at Sapient at the time for a web design job. Um, and I ran into them. It was just down the street from them. I think Sapient's where Adobe is today. Uh, and they were just down Townsend Street in, in uh, Soma in San Francisco. And ran into them and they said, you know, come visit us and... I think a couple weeks, I think it was in January 2000, I went and spent a weekend with Evan, Meg, and everybody, and, uh, and I think April 1st, I started at, at Blogger, right after uh, South by Southwest in 2000. That's a great date to start a company. <laughs> I know, it was basically the day the stock market crashed. It was the <laughs> day, if you, if you go back and watch every dot-com bubble bursting documentary that there's been, they always point out April 1st. 2000 is when the everything started to burst and that was the day i started which was great safe to say you're responsible <laughs> totally <laughs> they had they had just secured funding from uh o'reilly um which now is o'reilly tech ventures fund uh which is sort of like a real vc thing um they had just secured some funding and were starting to hire you know three or four extra people and so yeah, like at eight, that day was the day that it, yeah, it all started and it all ended. So Metafilter, it focuses quite heavily on moderation. And, and it's, it seems like a, a very strong running feature of the site. But maybe um, a lot of places, especially today, don't have. What was the initial thinking about this? Why did you want to have such a strong focus on moderation of content? Um. It's really like goes back to like the original UI ideas. So, you know, I'd seen how Slashdot did it. Um, and they had voting and up and down voting and, you know, plus, and you could, uh, you know, eventually I did sort of utilize all of Slashdot's features of that were along those lines. And I used to read Slashdot only, you know, plus three or higher. Like that was uh, only highly rated comments would even show up to me. But then they got into meta moderation, and uh, I guess I'd been around Slashdot. When I was asked to meta moderate, like 
12 people thought this was good. Do you think it's good? Um, it felt so tedious and uh, ridiculous to me that there was there was moderation and meta-moderation and like it just seemed like a massive volunteer effort that was kind of had diminishing returns for me personally. Um, then I watched, you know, sort of Dig come up and uh, and how they did things. And then I watched how Reddit came up and how they did things. Uh, a lot of it comes back to the UI. Like, I don't want to, I didn't want a strong up, down, vote, everything sort of system. I'd seen how everybody gamed every system that, like, Slashdot had to add meta moderation because people were karma whoring, as they called it, because Slashdot could reduce you to a number, which was, you know, how many upvotes you got. And then Dig did the same thing. And then you had these sort of like 10 people, you know, that were on the front page of Dig every day that were really interested in all their digs. And then, I started to see on blogs, people would be like, please, they'd make a blog post saying, please dig this thing I just put on dig, you know, and I thought found that whole thing kind of crass and annoying. Um, so, you know, if I'm, if I'm not, I don't want, you know, I don't want to reduce people a number. I don't want karma wars to happen. Um, the only alternative really to, you know, that kind of UI and those kind of features and that kind of user behavior is kind of like a top-down method. So instead, we we basically built a flagging system where was, um, anyone can point out things they don't like, and then we review those. And you know, anything, everything goes up on the site immediately, and then we remove like you know stuff that's objectionable, voted on by everybody. Um, later on, we added like you know people could mark things as their as favorites, and it's sort of an upvote with no downvote. Um, the uh, the flag stuff is all hidden. The upvote stuff is all public. Um, and so, yeah, I was trying to emphasize positive stuff. And uh, the moderation is just done, you know, as little as we can, you know, as fast as we can uh, to be, like, out of sight, out of mind. And as, you know, as we wanted to disrupt the community as little as possible. Somewhere around, like... I think it's a little less than one percent of thing of comments that get posted might get deleted in a day uh, at the most, um, and yeah, that's like you know thirty thirty out of three thousand probably is about a daily average um, for stuff that gets you know marked off as noise or stuff, and um, you know especially early on in threads, you know you've seen YouTube comments and stuff. They've done everything they can to try to diminish the problems of YouTube comments on their own site. But, you know, when they just released, when they used to list them like blog comments, the oldest at the top, you know, the first first one or two comments are terrible, the entire thread is terrible. So that's the kind of behavior we see and that we watch really closely. How do you think that, in like especially in today's world, when you talk about YouTube comments and uh, Reddit and things like that, how do you think this makes Metafilter different? Like to have humans um, actively watching and removing what shouldn't be there well um i guess i mean i think the hope is that it moves away from sort of a mob rule sort of model that um you know an unpopular opinion can stick around if if it's well stated um instead of just you can't you can't you know i mean i know all those other sites basically put a lot of energy into anti-gaming so you know a pack of 60 people can't vote as a block or they can be ignored when doing that, um, I never wanted to, you know, go down that path of trying to outdo people trying to game my systems. So, um, I mean, my hope is that, yeah, like, like, um, 
neutral, uh, casually interested parties reviewing things that are paid to do it, you know, all the time would be better than sort of mob rule. Um, and, you know, just shouting down voices they disagree with. So, I mean, the hope is that there's, I mean, in, in practice, I would say it is, it is, I mean, it's pretty hard to go against the grain still in any community. Um, and I don't think it, any system is perfect. Um, we frequently, you know, Metafilter probably is a little bit left-leaning, um, and we frequently have one or two problem right-wing users who are just constantly butting heads with people. But, I mean, they're often reduced to name-calling and stuff, and that's her dumb stuff we delete. Um, and we ask them to restate it in a, you know, in a casual and or a, a serious way that, you know, with supporting evidence and stuff like that. And it's 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 always a, a bit of a struggle. Do you think that you see or have seen less attempts at people trying to spam or just general bad comments on the site because of the moderation? Do people give up? Yeah, I think they do. Um, well, like, I think, well, we've set it, set the whole system up to try to, you know, keep bad stuff out. So the $5 barrier just to even get an account, like there's a one-time $5 fee is humongous. And so like a comment spam goes way way down just not having an open sign up session uh in the early days you know when i had an open sign up you know someone from one ip would sign up 700 accounts or something one day and like you know i've weeded all those out but uh you know someone could just wreak havoc so the five dollars basically is a humongous hurdle uh, and cuts off a lot of people we also get some id uh stuff because it's all through paypal so we can see what like their business name is and their email and their you know, planetary location. And that's also great because we can tell if they own the thing they're, they signed up to say, whoa, I found this thing that's wonderful. Just happens to be a blah, blah, blah.com. And we can quickly figure out if they're from that. They own that site and they're just trying to fake huh. it. Um, and we do like a morning sweep of the site that way. We have all sorts of these custom backend tools to find that sort of, wow. like every everything posted by a new user, you know, that had a link in it. Um, that's been a member for less than a month. Let's look at that list. Uh, you know, these are easy SQL database grabs, and they would constantly find, um, weed out, help us weed out these comment spammers. I mean, naturally, as the site grows and these 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 type of practices get tougher to do at scale, is it stuff like these tools that help you do that? Yeah, they do. Um, but a lot of us scaling. Scaling hasn't been too much of an issue um, because the hurdles are so high to get into the site. Um, you have to want to be there. You have to want to give, you know, five bucks just to get an account. There's a lot of social pressure to, you know, not crap on the front page or or derail threads. Um, so it's like it's not that bad. Like I've we've had steadily like five or ten people sign up a day probably for the last five years. Like it really hasn't gone up. It occasionally we get press and then fifty people sign up, but um, for the most part, it probably averages like you know almost single digits a day sign up. And you know people get older and get busy at work or get tired of the site and fade away. So it's like there's always been this. The last five years has been really steady. There's about 12,000 logged in members every day coming back. Um, there's about 60, I think we're maybe up to about 65,000 accounts. Um, so 
And when we look at the long term, like in the last year, over 40,000 of those accounts have logged in. So everyone occasionally does something. Um, there are not a lot of zombie ghost accounts. Um, there are only about twelve, about ten to 12,000 people for at least the last five years. That number has been pretty steady. steady that, uh, you know, the same sort of size of group that we're dealing with. Over the site's history, um, it did, it started to change as you saw the Ask Metafilter section of Metafilter start to become a bigger and more popular part of the site. Did you envision this when Ask, Metaf- Ask Metafilter was a- originated? Oh, no, not at all. Um, it took me by surprise. Um, it all started with, like, um, in Metafilter threads, um, any thread on Metafilter, you know, if something came up, a subject matter of, like photography someone just said oh check out this gallery of desert photos by this guy on a road trip like and everyone goes oh man those are amazing and then someone you know most of the user base were like the early user base were all like web designers and stuff uh but you'd occasionally find that someone's hobby was something mentioned in a post and people would be like oh hey i didn't know there are other photographers here let's talk hardcore about lenses and stuff in these threads um and then other people noticed, like, oh, man, I did not know we had professional photographers or, 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 or pro-level hobbyists. Like, man, I wish I could ask them questions. And so, you know, a couple users had asked me to set up more of, like, a Craigslist area where they could ask open questions and sell stuff and, you know, ask for jobs or, or something like that. So, you know, I thought that was too ambitious. But um, instead, I sort of thought, you know, the Q&A format, pretty straightforward and pretty simple and you know everyone's everyone's really you know smart who's here and interesting like i think that would be pretty cool so i set it up with nothing more in mind than just you know getting interesting people to answer interesting questions and i think i started off the first question of just like what are some dvds with cool extra features in the year 2003 uh, you know and got like 20 or 30 suggestions for movies i should watch because the extra features were you know better than the movie um, and then, you know, it just sort of, it sort of just went along and it was interesting and everyone kind of liked it. And it was just the strange business of Google that sort of came around to it. Like in by, I think by 2007 is when things really took off. Um, like that's when I started looking at stats and seeing like, like, wow, that's weird. Like, like it was getting over 50% of the traffic was going to ask Metafilter and, you know, me and all the members of the site pretty much you know, hang out on metafilter.com, www.metafilter.com, and would, like, occasionally go to Ask Metafilter. You know, it's sort of like the library where you, you know, the reference desk, kind of. And uh, and we were seeing these patterns of, you know, it's just strange that suddenly Google really loved Ask Metafilter. Uh, and then, you know, maybe by 2008 or 2009, like 90% of the server's traffic was, you know, Google searches for old questions on Ask Metafilter. Uh, and it just started to get weird after that. I mean, it got, you know, that, I think, you know, there was a time where like 99% of the revenue was coming from Ask Metafilter and 95% of the traffic was Ask Metafilter. And it, it's it's hard to run a project where you're interacting with 12,000 people in like this, this water cooler of the internet of like, here's all the cool things on the internet blog. And then Ask Metafilter is sort of there and people use it, but then... There's some people that are only on Ask Metafilter and don't interact anywhere else. And, like, who are my customers? I kind of ask myself. Like, the money's coming in from random people who aren't even members. 
who are looking at old questions and clicking on ads and stuff uh, versus people saying, oh, hey, I'd love it if the site had this feature. And, you know, technically, you know, the main Metafilter site was making almost no money for me. Um, and so it, it became strange. It's, it's hard to make decisions, businesses, just, yeah, business decisions on uh, basing them on, you know, who is your real customer, right? Like, uh, and it's just random yahoos on the internet searching for what kind of camera lens should I buy um, versus, you know, is the people that are using the site you're interacting with daily, uh, you know, they're asking the questions and stuff or, or making posts. Um, so, yeah, it was this really strange dichotomy for me. Um, and most people did not know that, like, that's how the weird back end worked. So in May um, of this year, you wrote a really fantastic uh, medium piece about the future of Metafilter, and you spoke a lot about the site's history and and about a bunch of things that you just spoke about, about the way that the site started to change and where the traffic was coming from. And uh, you talk about that in 2012, you started to see a traffic decline um, after you were caught up in a Google algorithm change. I think one of their Panda, was it Panda? Oh, they said it wasn't one of those. They were ah. just targeting forums, I guess. And it, and it seemed like that you were kind of incorrectly caught up in a attempt to try and rule out sleazy SEO-based sites. Um, you made some changes to the site, but you kept getting caught up into various situations over time with the AdSense teams. They were changing the way that the site was, was viewed. Um, and then you were kind of being downweighted and things like that. When these situations would occur, so when you would go through these different uh, algorithm changes you'd get caught up in or you'd get contacted by the AdSense teams, what sort of steps would you take to try and rectify things? Would you try and remove things or would you kind of try and stay the course? Um, it was tough. Uh, I mean, that was the, the whole theme of the piece is like Google's pretty opaque and I understand why they need to be. Um, and I, I sort of wrote it in a public forum because I really wanted to show those graphs that were like, pretty stark and I thought pretty amazing uh, and sort of like here's the data Google could you please explain to me some of these things because the whole thing is a mystery um, you know I'm a, I'm casually acquainted with Matt Cutts um, when I was working at Creative Commons um, early on in 2002 like right when we started you know we were interacting with people at Google trying to get Google to have like Creative Commons as an option in search you know that maybe you're searching for images or stuff that you could only, you know, be able to search for only Creative Commons licensed images would have been great to us. And uh, I got to know Matt Cutts a little bit, who's sort of like the head of the web spam team. Uh, and, you know, I'd see him every couple years at eTech or South by Southwest and say hi to him for five minutes. So when this all happened, you know, I just woke up one day and like revenue was down almost half and traffic, same. Uh, you know, I sent him an email and he said, oh, you know, we're constantly updating all the time. You know, you probably had too many ads or something above the fold or, you know, our recent updates. Like, go look at this list of our recent updates and figure out, what, you know, what you might have, what line you might have crossed and fix it. And I'm sure and, you know, our next update in a month or two, you know, it'll get better. So that was the only correspondence I had with him. Uh, and so I sort of, you know, I was taking the advice of the AdSense team, which I'd ignored for years and years. And I definitely had too many ads on the site. Um, and it was like that the AdSense arm of Google had been, uh, you know, just 
calling me every couple of months and asking me to add more ads for five years. And, uh, and it was only in like the, the last year before that, that I was like, okay, you know, they sent me mock-ups on my site and I was like, okay, I'll try it. And, you know, like revenue doubled when I did what they asked. Um, but, you know, I was never completely comfortable with it. You know, I didn't like what it did to the UI. And so we had weeded out some ads, but then when this all happened, uh, I heard, you know, I was looking through the recent updates and they were talking about too many ads being a thing they updated, they did algorithm changes for, and they're they're also weeding out old content, um, which, you know, made some sense and makes no sense to me at the same time. Um, I have trouble finding, like, I, I remember, you know, epic blog post essays from 2005 that I basically can't find anymore. If you do a search for, you know, every keyword you know is in that essay, you just get results from the last two weeks you know, from, you know, news sites and stuff. Uh, so, like, they're weeding out um, old content and content with too many ads. So I reduced the ads um, to the bare minimum. Uh, and at one time, I think we were making one quarter of what we were making, like, the month before. Whoa. And I was just sort of running the business off savings that I had. And I was thinking, um, okay, well, we'll just wait the two months. Like, I basically have, a, you know, this is kind of like plain chicken with Google. Um, and then things didn't really get any better. Um, and then maybe two or three months after it happened, uh, they were closing up some beta. I was in at AdSense and telling me to go back to a different, to a, you know, the sort of consumer system that everyone uses and things actually like got way better on the consumer system. And I was actually, you know, bummed I didn't move over earlier. Um, and so things were, so it was because things got a little better that, you know, we were, we were at break even or making a little bit of money and it was okay again for about six months that that's why I just, you know, I just sort of like, let's just ride this out and see how long this goes. Like eventually this is going to get better. <laughs> so, you know, and I know Matt cuts gets like 5,000 emails a day and the entire, you know, SEO world hangs on his every word. So I didn't want to bother him and I never saw him at conferences that summer. So I was just sort of like, well, you know, one day Google will get better. Um, so then like, you know, once it had been a year and things, we were just a sort of break even, I was like, uh, you know, I should, maybe I should email them and ask what was up. And then, and then, uh, you know, I kept going and then maybe it was, it was when I was approaching a year and a half, like we were getting these weird, like something changed and then, you know, we were making 10% less money. And then a couple months later, you know, you're making 10% less more because of something else. Uh, it really started to get hard to, to even run the. The, the staff and stuff um we had staffed up when the you know advertising income levels are really high so uh you know i was suddenly i was stuck with you know eight employees and this big payroll and you know diminishing advertising and and in truth you know it's an old site it's an old model web advertising isn't really a growth aspect of anything you know it's kind of the new newspapers if you think about it like content sites you know newspaper sites are done you know i gave a talk at exo in 2012 it was like two weeks before the the, this whole thing happened with google which is kind of funny because i'm sort of i'm talking about the death of metafilter on stage like just a couple weeks before it started to happen and i was saying that like you know like a lot of us with web properties are where newspapers were in the late 90s with craigslist coming on board um like mobile apps and and, uh, you know, Google just surfacing, you know, summaries of results are taking away so much traffic that, like, you can't really run a site on traffic anymore. Um, 
And so, you know, yeah, so things just kept diminishing, and it got to be just too much, you know. I didn't know how to interact with the community on it, because, again, like, the customer that was bringing in the money isn't even part of the community, really. They're just random drive-by users uh, that are just getting good information. Um, so it was hard. I felt it was it was hard. Um, we were running, at the very end, like, big deficits, you know, like, on the order of, like, 10000 a month, uh to make payroll. I didn't think I could ask people to, uh, you know, donate a couple bucks a month or something. And, you know, by my calcul back of the envelope cal calculations, we'd maybe, you know, make a grand or two and we'd still be, you know, eight grand short on payroll. Um, and so, you know, I kind of, you know, I kept the staff in the loop since the day it happened. And so, you know, I was stressed out and they were stressed out for like a year and a half. Uh, when it just got to be too much, I was just, we, you know, we had a talk, like, what could we do? You know, could we still run the site? How could we streamline some stuff? You know, how could we, you know, get by? How could we continue this, you know, with a smaller staff? Um, and that's what we did. And the focus of, you know, my first announcements of all this stuff was really to prepare the, the site's audience for, like, you know, we're not going to answer emails in two minutes anymore, and we're not going to, you know you know, thing like uh uh like conversations where everyone's fighting each other might not go so great because we won't be there to monitor it twenty four hours a day all the time. There won't be multiple staff people, you know, reading every thread. Um, things like that. Uh and so yeah, I sort of announced it to people and the medium post was more written for the um, you know, wider audience of non members. Um and that was more like just I guess in a way, just calling out Google and just saying, like, you know, my traffic drop is kind of a step function. Um, uh, you know, like, I just wanted to, like, something happened and something never stopped happening. You know, it never was turned back on, and it's really weird. So it seems that you also have issues um, with people claiming inorganic links in like so you get you get these requests from other websites saying that there are inorganic links on your site um and that you must remove them what are inorganic links well i guess ever since people figured out that you know google google's page rank algorithm was was finding every you know the sites everyone links to and making those the number one results made google the best search engine in the early 2000s the people quickly figured out, oh, if I just set up 200 fake blogs and they all had a post linking to, you know, my, my A1 locksmith service or whatever it is, uh, you know, maybe I would be number one on Google. So people had been doing this stuff for years and Google's anti-spam team is constantly, you know, weeding that kind of stuff out. And so I guess they report people who do this. Uh, they tell you in your webmaster tools that, like, hey, we found some unnatural or inorganic links, unnatural or inorganic. Like, they don't look like real people are making these posts. These look like automated bots, you know, sprinkling comment spam throughout the web or putting up fake blogs or making fake posts or, you know, posting garbage text that, uh, you know, just ha happens to contain a link to their site. Um, and so those people, and then Google tells those people to email places where they posted that. Oh, wow. And remove them. So Google if actually says email people. Yeah. Right. Okay. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah. And I, and I copy and pasted a, a Google email someone forwarded to us, which turned out to be a forgery. Um, 
they had copied something they had gotten from Google, but they just put in my site. It was actually written for another site. Like Matt Cutts' team basically wanted to dig up the source of that. They figured out who whose site that was um, based on the thing they reported to me. And they also found that, the, that they never sent that email to him or that message that the guy was just basically going through Google and finding every backlink, you know, that he had ever posted ever on the web and just mailing all the webmasters and acting like, you know, it was just basically direct from Google telling me to do this. So you must do this. Um, and so, yeah, like for the last two years, I've been waking up every morning to like half a dozen emails, people frantic about my business is dying. I got delisted by Google for inorganic links. They're all over the web. I need everyone who's ever linked to me to remove them. Uh, and every time we looked at that, you know, it's like joebarbecue.com or something, you know, every time they'd, we'd look at that, we'd find like people asking honest questions going like, oh, hey, what kind of backyard barbecue should I get? And people would be like, oh, the clamshell model, it looks like this. And they obviously just did a Google search that day in 2008 or nine or something. And that guy was gaming Google. So he was number one. So, you know, these links would be by honest longtime members, they weren't fly by night comment spam, uh, and they were actually you know trying to help someone else. It's just that that person was gaming Google at the time and got to be number one, and then so people spread that around, and then now Google is saying, you know, you're you've been delisted, uh, and you need to remove all these fake links of yours around the web. Uh, and in the end, Matt Cutts' team is stress to me that like they don't take that into account with ranking like how many negative links you know you might your site might link to they said they they don't they don't use that in their algorithm ranking so i was worried you know things weren't great for metafilter and a dozen people a day were telling me you know i am a spammer i paid people to spam the web with my links uh, a couple are on your site can you remove them and <laughs> so you know in a desperate I would just basically every day go through all these and like I just set no follows on them, um, set them to no follow. I didn't want to delete them because, you know, it like ruins a conversation. It was actually a useful answer at one time. And so, you know, every day we were just doing these tedious, stupid no follow links and having fights with these spammers because sometimes they'd be like, that's not good enough. I need you to remove it. We're like, no, you didn't post it. An actual person posted it. We're not removing it. And then, Google came out with a link disavow tool, which is like a like this sort of meta moderation. Um, so if a spammer emails a site and says, "Please remove my link," and they don't, um, the spammer can report to Google that server that site owner did not get back to me, did not comply. You know, I want to disavow all links located on that on that site. And so people would basically use that as a second level threat, being like. If you don't do this, I'm going to report Metafilter to the link disavow tool, and Google will get all these reports that Metafilter is not abiding links um, removals. And, you know, that's going to negatively affect your business. <laughs> and so, you know, when Google is super opaque, you don't know what's going on, um, you know, I would want to avoid, you know, getting the bad graces of Google. So I would comply with those things. It sounds maddening. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it was totally maddening, stressful and maddening and crazy. Yeah, and there's, and the, if you ever have to dive into the SEO world, um, 
it's just kind of crazy because nobody knows what's going on. Nobody knows what's Google. I mean, Google's trying to be one step ahead of everyone, and everyone is basically collectively going, hey, what just happened? What happened on your site? What happened on my site? Hey, look at my data. Oh, my God. Let's all, let's all collude and try and figure out and kind of, uh, you know, reverse engineer what just happened. And so, like, that is sort of every SEO forum and sites, you know, search engine roundtable.com, all those things. Uh, searengineland.com, the SEO Moz, they list all the suspected Google updates because Google isn't super public about all that stuff. Uh, it's just, it's it's maddening. It's totally maddening. I, like, I, hate, I hate all that part of that industry. I've always just sort of held my head down and made the best sites I could and just hope people would flock to them. Like, that's been my SEO strategy from day one. You've been very open, um, in general, you are very open about how MetaFilter performs from numbers of users to revenue generated from users. What drives you to be open like this when kind of I think many people are not? Yeah, I think it's just coming from an academic background. Um, you know, I came from you know a graduate science degree where you publish everything you do. You tell everyone as soon as you discover something, you go, oh my God, guys, check it out. I figured out how to do something. Here's how I did it. You guys should do it too. Uh, and I felt like early web design experimentation was totally like that. Like the, all the early web design mailing lists were amazing. You know, someone would say, oh, my God, I figured out how to control links in CSS. And you can, you know, select colors after the, you know, for 1998, that stuff was all just super cutting edge. Um, and I remember, you know, the early 2000s, people figuring out how to do CSS layouts in columns for the first time like we can finally ditch tables guys for layout uh and it was you know it's like a and i'm not hardcore open source or anything but i like the sort of sharing your discoveries um uh and i'm not like a super private person um you know i'm sort of an introvert nerd so maybe part of uh being forthcoming on the web is you know me acting out trying to be like an extrovert online um, because I'm not really in real life, but um, yeah, I mean, I've looked back, and there's lots of times where I think if I didn't shut up, if I shut up and I didn't write an essay saying, "Hey, everyone, I figured out how something makes money. Check this out," you know, and other people followed, um, <laughs> that you know, I'd probably be in a better position today. If, but I like <laughs> I like the idea of sharing knowledge. Like that's how I learned how the internet worked. Like I learned web design through other people being super forthcoming. And so, you know, I do as much as I can to pass that along. So in the post, you mentioned, as you've mentioned here, how like over time as these things have changed and it's getting harder and harder with the ads, that the revenue of MetaFilter is decreasing um, and that you, you know, you've had to, to, to um, sort of shrink the team down and you've been running from savings and things like that and that the there was a, a, a real time where the future was unclear um, mm-hmm. however now you have a, an element of crowdfunding for the site yeah which was kind of it had a weird inception well what's the totally. story there yeah so like when i wrote the first post on meta talk to tell the community like hey these three people are stepping down you know be prepared we're not going to be that timely on stuff. Um, you know, we have to cost cut because things are bad. Um, <clears throat> I said in that post, I do not want your money. Like, uh, you know, uh, basically everyone I've ever talked to that 
offers a service and then offers a pro service, you know, that maybe costs three bucks a month or something. Uh, like industry-wide, I would say, you know, one to 5% of your users will pay for Flickr Pro or, you know, paid version of Milkshake or whatever, Picasa Pro or what, anything you can think of. Um, if there's a website and then there's a pro version of that website, like one to 5%, um, uh, we'll give you a few bucks a month. Um, so, you know, I'm running the numbers and I was thinking 12,000 people are coming back every day, one to 5% of that, you know, times two bucks or three bucks a month. That's, that's nothing. That's like a thousand bucks. Uh, you know, it's not going to solve our problems. So like in the course, like people are like, Oh, what can we do to help? What can we do to help? Um, and then someone found like a, a, a donation link from 2001 buried on a page I hadn't changed since 2001. Uh, and it was like a PayPal button when I was rebuilding a server in 2001, uh, in like I raised, I don't know, 1800 bucks to buy a new server. Uh, and, uh, so people are like, Oh, Hey, this PayPal button still works. Just click on it. And then you can give them that money. And I'm like, well, that's <laughs> great and all, but you know, that's not really what I'm going for. And really like my problems are month to month. Like if everyone gave me, this is why also I didn't do a Kickstarter. That was another thing people asked me. That like yeah, I would have needed to ask for a hundred thousand dollars to make it through the end of the year with all the current deficits, and then what happens next year? Like, do I run a new Kickstarter every year? Like, I didn't want to do that, so I was t I stressed to people like, like uh, it'd be great if you gave me ten thousand dollars now. That's wonderful, but like, and that makes it through this month. But I don't know what next month and the month after that. So really, I need like monthly money. So you know, it's not going to work out. Don't try, guys. <laughs> and then someone figured out how to like tweak a make a subscription payment on PayPal and sort of posted that. And <laughs> then like, when it got no, to like, we will not allow yeah. this. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, I don't want this, this is never going to work. And then like, I think we were at three or 400 people had done it. And I was like, Oh my God, this is cr so like we made a funding page where we made like a, we just copied the content, the links people <laughs> posted saying like, here's how you set up a subscription link, you know, pick out how much money you want to give a month. Um, you know, uh, like a monthly subscription is really great and really nice. And from also from day one, I was like, I swear, you know, I'll start building more features. You know, there's things we've been talking about in the back burner for years. They're just too computer intensive that we could, you know, offer to you. And the resounding response from the community was like, I don't want extra features. I don't want anything like put a gold star on my user page saying I gave you money, but that's about it. Like, don't put a gold star next to my name. I don't want, you know, comment filtering. I don't want comment sorting. I don't want, you know, all the crazy things like things like Reddit, whatever gold gives you, you know, they give you 30 features or something. And FARC has the same thing where they give like 20 new features. And it was funny that people came back with, we just want to give you money, like just to keep Metafilter going. So I was like, oh, right. And so, yeah, it's become really substantial. Um, somewhere around 45 grand came in in the first month. Uh, as a one-time deal. Um, and then, uh, like, there's about nine or ten grand of recurring revenue a month now, um, thanks to donations. That's Crazy. incredible. Yeah, so it basically makes up for our shortfalls. It also allowed us to put, like, two months of rev of, uh, of, uh, of payroll in the bank, um, which I've never... I basically, for the last seven or eight years, I've always had, like, half a month of payroll in the bank <laughs> at any one time. Um and so having a couple months in, in you know, stored up is great. Um, having the extra money is great. That means if 
you know, we have seen um, um, if the ads, you know, go down by 10% next month, that means, you know, we'll, we can suck it up. Um, so, yeah, we're all kind of like working longer hours with fewer people. I'm like personally watching the site like 40, 50 hours a week, and I used to do a lot less. <laughs> but uh, it's been it's been great. Uh, we're still trying to figure out, you know, I was still paying severance pay to everyone up until last month. So I don't know what, you know, still need to figure out what our new payroll levels are and in relation to revenue and stuff, but we're doing a lot better. And, uh, and yeah, the support from the community has been amazing. So with where you're sitting right now, what, What's the future of Metafilter? How do you feel about it? Do you feel positive that the site's going to continue? Are you going to try and um, continue like pushing for crowdfunding, or are you going to let that run in the background? Like, what? How do you feel about things as they look into the next five years? Um, it's uh, it's weird. I feel a lot better. Um, the last year and a half been super stressful, <clears throat> and I felt. I felt like, um, you know, as money was decreasing, I did not know what the future was like. I actually even tried to um, sell the site to a couple, you know, sort of competitor sites. <clears throat> and uh, But Metafilter is not startup-y at all. You know, it's just, it's all this, like, hand-done work done by a team of humans. It doesn't scale. Um, you know, it made some decent money at, you know, at its peak, but it's not something, you know, Reddit could take over and, you know add 20 million people to and and get anything out of that so you know i had trouble doing that um that was pretty fruitless um <coughs> but i actually feel good um like we're doing a lot more development now we're trying new things we're you know we're coding up stuff day by day and it releasing it we you know the sites look the same and been the same for so many years uh and the community has really like rejected big changes um that everyone's kind of relaxed and understands that like, Oh, things might need to change in little pieces every now and then and that's okay. <clears throat> so it's been a lot easier. Um, I'd say financially the site's doing a lot better. Um, you know, definitely see, you know, itself through the end of the year and the year after. And, um, you know, it looks pretty good. I've sort of talked to some of the um, other advertisers, um, I've worked with besides Google. So I'm sort of, relying on Google less. Um, I don't think I'm going to push a lot for the, uh, for the crowdfunding stuff. Um, like I think it'll be a minor call out on the site to like help contribute to the site, but I don't want to, I don't want to drive completely to that. Um, cause I think it's still, I mean, I'd probably need to triple what I'm doing now to really make it to, you know, where we wouldn't even need advertising. And then speaking with users, they were like, like advertising is not that bad because I'm only showing it to logged out people, right? So the people are supporting the site aren't seeing any ads and they feel like, you know, supporting the site is pretty logical because, you know, there's no ads for them. There's, they're not really paying, you know, they paid $5 once a long time ago. Uh, so they feel good about giving a few bucks. And, um, and <laughs> a lot of people said, for people who are logged out, like you should be making money off that. Like you shouldn't let that traffic like quote unquote go to waste. Um, you know, like, like it's totally fine to, you know, it's funny. It's kind of like making Madison Avenue pay for the, for a bunch of, you know, internet nerds to goof around on the web in, you know, this 
cool online space and you know Madison Avenue's picking up the bill for casually people driving by and reading it. Um and so yeah, it'd still be a mix of advertising revenue and user support revenue. Um <clears throat> and the offing, you know, we're working on a whole bunch of new subsites and features and stuff that'll, you know I don't know if, you know, Google will love them or not, but probably will and you know, yeah. Matt, where can people keep up to date with everything that you're doing? Where's a really good place to see what you're up to and what what's happening at Metafilter? I mean, at this point, the best place is probably uh, Twitter because um, <laughs> Twitter has killed my blogging muscles. Um, I re- and Medium, too. Twitter plus like Evan Williams is great at getting people to never blog again. Um, <laughs> uh, I basically post uh, long things on Medium and uh, short things on Twitter and I hardly ever touch my blog and I don't know if I'll even have, you know, maintain a WordPress blog a year from now because it just seems tedious. Um, So, yeah, I would go to twitter.com slash M-A-T-H-O-W-I-E, Matt Howie, uh, phonetically. Um, And that's where I'm sort of, that would be my central place where I'm posting about everything that's going on. Thanks so much for joining me today, Matt. And thank you for your honesty as well. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me, Mike. Now, I mentioned at the start of the show that I had an important announcement to make today. Um, Some of you may already be aware of this, but um, I am uh, going to be departing 5x5. I have announced it today, and today is the 10th of July 2014, um, that next week um, I will be leaving on the 16th of July, um, and that I'm going to be doing one more week of shows. However, this is going to be the last episode of command space um it was such a fantastic one i didn't want to take it any further than this i didn't think i would that i would get a better guest than matt so thanks again to matt for being a part of this and thank you all for listening to command space if you want to find out more about what i'm going to be doing next where i'm going to be going and what i'm going to be up to then you want to follow me on twitter i'm imike i-m-y-k-e i'll go to mikehurley.net there's a post there which explains a little bit about what's going on and there's also a link to a sign up form now this is the important thing i am working on a bunch of new stuff that i want to share with you guys but we're not. I'm not ready to share it just yet. I don't want to share too much, so I've still got a bunch of work that I need to do, but it's all going to be really exciting. However, don't unsubscribe from this feed. I'm working with Dan Benjamin, and we're going to, when it's time, when I have some new stuff, and when there is a, a show to, to replace this one, your feed will automatically transfer, and you'll be able to get the, my brand new show um, right here, in where Command Space used to be. So thank you all for listening and making Command Space such a fantastic success. I really appreciate you tuning in every week. And until then, and until the next big thing, thank you so much. If you want to catch the show notes for today's episode, there are 5x5.tv slash cmdspace slash 103. I am iMike, I-M-Y-K-E on Twitter. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs>